Good morning, Schweitzer. It's good to be with you on this uh, Sunday. It's our second week of online worship. And again, it's a real joy to be with you. We're excited to worship together, even though we're not physically together. We're enhancing our worship today to include music and, and uh, other items. So look forward to that. Also, we're shifting our sermon series from behind the scenes to uh, a sermon series that focuses on Abraham's life called Faith and Fear. So look forward to that as well. And now let's greet each other through the chat feature on your screen. And if you have a prayer request this morning, a specific prayer request, uh, give us that and we have a person to pray with you. If you'd like to receive the prayer list so you can be praying for others this week, send us an email. If you'd like to help out others through the week, that's through the food pantry, our seniors, or through Pittman School, call the office number. That's how you can volunteer at 881-6800. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Let's worship. Oh, 
draws near And my time has come Still my soul will sing your praise And Ten thousand years and then Let's spend some time this morning praying together and let's pray specifically around COVID-19. Holy God, we thank you that we can worship together. While we may not be physically together, God, you bind us together. So we are grateful this morning. We pray specifically against uh, this virus. God, we look to you. We, we turn to you this morning with great trust and hope because you are God. We pray specifically for healthcare workers and people that have been affected uh, both with uh, physical uh, ailments, but also in all kinds of ways, Lord. We pray for our neighbors around us uh, in our very neighborhoods. We pray for our neighbors in terms of businesses we pray specifically for our leaders. God, help our leaders. And Lord, we pray for your church. And while we are spread out, God, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, be with us, lead us and guide us. God, we confess we need you. And now let's join together in praying the prayer the Lord taught us long ago and saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, as we come to this time of offering, we appreciate your gifts and ties that make such a difference in the lives of people of our community and uh, the Ozarks and, and well beyond. We have a new way for you to give. And to do that, you can go to sumc.co slash give. We also have a new app. Check it out on the video. We believe in the power of stories, and each week at Schweitzer, we've been telling one where God is moving and working through the lives of people connected here. And so this week, we're going to hear about Maggie. Let's watch. I guess last summer, the beginning of last summer, um, I started doing some deliverance with a friend of mine, just kind of praying through things. Um, trying to see where the Lord was leading me in my relationship, feeling a little stagnant, not really knowing where to go next. Um, and at the same time, I started doing dialogue boot camp with David Freeman. And I feel like the Lord really just kind of dovetailed those together perfectly. Um, I was able to just kind of see more clearly where the Lord was leading me. Um, and towards the end of boot camp, I found out that my dad has stage four lung cancer. Um, and it spread to his liver as well as his bones and his brain. Um, and I would say that has been the hardest thing for me. <laughs> I've been through some pretty rough stuff, but having my dad sick and not knowing his outcome has been, has been hard. Um, he's not a believer, and that has made, uh, it's made it hard. I just went up there with a different attitude, just a different mindset and it was probably the best visit I've ever had as far as my family's concerned. Um, and I wasn't able to witness to my dad in words. I'm really hoping that the things that I did while I was there, just being able to love on him, to not be able to fight with my family, that that was enough um, for now. I know the Lord's not done with him, and. I know that he wants him to come to faith 
just as badly as I do, probably more. Looking back, seeing all the areas where I was trying to change things um, instead of relying on him really brought to light my need for a relationship with him as opposed to me just being a Christian and thinking that everything was good. <laughs> just accepting him but needing more than that, a relationship with him. My name is Maggie Regal and this is just the beginning of my story. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Spencer. And I'm the pastor here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12 today. And if you don't have your Bibles, there's some really cool features I want you to use um, on, the, on the platform that we're on, the, the way that you're watching this. You should be able to click a tab that says notes and you'll find sermon notes there, the scripture I'm going to reference today, as well as uh, there's a tab there for Bible and you can follow along with the Bible. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to be as we're starting a, a new series today. Um, this is a, a really strange season we're in. I mean, we've never been through anything like this. This is week two of online church. Um, certainly all of us have questions that we haven't really asked before and we're wrestling through these kinds of things. And I'll, I'll just be honest with you. Um, this has been um, a hard week for me, just as it's been for you. I've been battling uh, questions and, and thoughts of anxiety and, 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 um, and fear. This has been a frightening kind of week as you watch all the things that are happening. You, you watch the news and they're talking about these worst case scenarios and you see the disease spreading, you see um, the stock market and what it's doing and people losing their jobs. And this is a, a very frightening time. And so um, in, in the midst of all this, um, I know that, that fear isn't God's design for us, that God has more for us than fear and that fear leads us away from God's design. And so um, we're gonna be talking over the next several weeks about this, this dynamic that we have of faith um, and fear and how these things work out together. And I've been thinking a lot about this question um, with the coronavirus. What, what is the Christian response to the coronavirus? How, how do Christians think about and respond to this? And, and I don't have a real detailed uh, thought process yet. I've been just been kind of thinking about this over that last uh, few days. And, and on one hand, I think a Christian response to the coronavirus is that we love our neighbors. And we are certainly doing that. And there's all kinds of opportunities. If you want to get involved in helping us love our neighbors, both in the church and outside the church, uh, we have opportunities for you to do that. Call the church line 881-6800 and we can help you get in touch with uh, people who need help. Um, in, and even in the midst of social distancing, though, I've also been thinking a, a faithful Christian response is that we don't spread the disease. And so as strange as it, as it is, I think a faithful Christian response to the coronavirus is to suspend worship um, and to engage in, in this kind of worship, even though it's, it's not nearly what we'd want to be doing, but it's, you know, it's where we're at. And so um, the other side of this, though, is loving our neighbors. I think a faithful Christian response uh, to the coronavirus is that we don't live in fear. Fear is everywhere around us. And the more you read, the more news you watch, the, the greater fear becomes. And so I, I don't, I, I know that we're not called to live in, in fear. We're called to live in faith. And, um, and it's one thing to say that, it's another thing to actually live that. And what I wanna tease out in this, in this series today is, is how, do we, how do we live that? Because to live in faith instead of in fear is not nearly as easy as it sounds. It's, it's really complex and it's difficult to do this because our natural uh, reaction to things that are threatening like the coronavirus is, is fear. So, so how, do we, how do we live through this? It's not just enough to say, don't be afraid. 
um, we, we need some real tools to, to be thinking and praying through um, how do we trust God in the midst um, of, all of, of all of these things. And so um, what we're gonna do to guide this series is we're gonna look at Abraham. Abraham is a hero of faith to some 4 billion people in the world today. That's uh, 4 billion, by the way, that's every Muslim, Jew, and Christian um, that's in the world because Abraham is, is a hero of faith to all these people. And um, he's, he's a hero of faith in the Bible, uh, just a real pillar, a patriarch that we have in the scripture. And at the same time, uh, if you look deeply at his life, Abraham is also somebody who struggles deeply with fear. And this dynamic of, of how he, he goes from being this incredibly inspiring person who just does these incredibly inspiring, faithful things to then being the kind of person who is just crushingly disappointing as he gives into fear. It's a really interesting dynamic as we, as we look through his um, struggle with faith and fear and living into a faithful life. And so we're going to look at, at Abraham and, and his story. We're going to start at the beginning of his, of his story and look through this. And, and I just want to give you a, a, a full disclosure here. Um, I've been using this word faith so far a lot in this sermon, and I'm going to keep using it a lot in the series because this is about faith and fear. But um, just to be honest with you, and this might sound strange because I'm a pastor, uh, faith is a word that I, I, I really hate. I, I, just, I just really don't like that word, uh, faith. And, and it's one of those words I've really, a few years ago, I stopped saying altogether because I, I got frustrated with what that word means. And, and, and just think about this. If you were to ask like a random person you know, not necessarily a church person, but just a random person you know, this basic question, you know, what is faith? How do you think they might answer that question? You know, I'm going to guess that most people, like most normal people, not just church people, but normal people would say that faith is uh, when you believe in God. That's what faith is. And, and that sentence right there, it's so vague, it's left out to, to all kinds of interpretation. Does that mean that faith is when you believe that God exists? Is, is that just like, you know, unicorns and leprechauns, that kind of question? Does God exist in that kind of way? Or, or sometimes people might say faith is that, you know, you believe certain things about God. Um, it's about doctrine or what you think and, and theology. And, and I, I just, I've grown frustrated with, um, with these words because when I, when I think about the Bible and I think about the examples we have in the scripture, faith is so much deeper than that, that I, I've grown frustrated with that, frustrated with that word because um, there's this kind of common definition that's out there that's not what we see in the scripture. Um, so when I look in the Bible, I see something else entirely. And so we're gonna explore in the series is this deeper question of what is faith um, through the life of Abraham, because he has so much to teach us about, about what this looks like. So Genesis 12, we're gonna start there. This is the beginning of Abraham's story. Uh, we're gonna start in verse one, although at this time, it's not Abraham, it's Abram. He hasn't changed his name yet. And, um, and here's how it starts. This is verse one. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. It says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And then this next line is so incredibly important. If you want to understand the Bible, this next line is like pivotal to that. The next line says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In other words, God says to Abram, um, the well-being of the entire world hinges on you. You are the linchpin for every person who's alive and will be alive for their well-being. That's what it means here. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And 
By the way, this is the storyline of the rest of the Bible. From Genesis 12 to Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, the rest of the Bible is about how God uses Abram and his family to bless the world, ultimately, of course, through Jesus Christ. And so this call to bless the, the world, this call that every single person is going to be better off because of, of Abram, it, it hinges on, on something that Abram has to do. So I don't know if you caught it or not, but Abram has to do something in order for this blessing to be true. And what Abram has to do is this, verse one, the Lord said to Abram, go, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Go. That's what Abram's got to do. Go. He's not told where he's going to go. I mean, Lord says go. Abraham's like, well, where am I supposed to go? And the Lord's like, I'll, I'll tell you when you get there. And then comes one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. I, I love this verse. It's so incredibly inspiring to me. Um, I, and I love this verse because it is a model of what faith looks like. Genesis 12, verse four, the very next verse after God tells Abram to go and he's going to bless the world through him. Here's what the Bible says. Very simply, three words. So... Abram went. So Abram went. I love it. It says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Lot is his nephew. Lot went with him. And then it gets even more inspiring as this verse keeps going because it tells us some details about Abram's life. So listen to this. It says, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all the possessions they had accumulated. So we just learned three really important details about Abram that make this story even more inspiring. First, we just learned that he's not young. He's 75 years old. Two, we learned that he's married. And third, we learned that he is wealthy. So when Abram leaves, it's not like he's, you know, 22 with nothing to his name and, and nothing holding him back. No, this is somebody who is settled. This is somebody who has responsibilities. This is somebody who's got obligations. And if you think about it, these three details that Abraham, uh, that tells us about Abraham here, um, these three details are three reasons why Abram should have said no to going to this land that God was going to tell him. Because honestly, these are the same kinds of reasons that you and I use to say no to God all the time. Um, in my work as a pastor, I've noticed that there are certain conversations that tend to come up from time to time that I have with, with people. And, and they come up on some sort of, um, kind of a routine, routine basis. And, and so I've noticed that about every other year, I don't know why the pattern is every other year, but about every other year, I have a conversation with somebody and it goes like this. Someone will, will stop me, call me, email me, take me to coffee and they'll say, Spencer, I feel like God wants me to go to seminary. And I hear that, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. You should, you should follow through with this. This is just a huge deal. It's a major life change. I'm thinking when I went to seminary, I was, uh, you know, I, I quit my job and I moved to a new state and, and I, I turned my life upside down in order to go do this for a few years. I was, of course, 22, so it was a lot easier to do that at the time. And so someone says, ah, Spencer, I feel like God wants me to go to seminary. I'm like, wow, that is absolutely amazing. That's just, that's so, so incredible. And then most of the time, that statement, I feel like God called me to go to seminary, is followed up with something like, but uh, I've got a mortgage and my job pays well and I can't really relocate. So maybe, maybe someday, maybe someday. Or, or, or here's another one. I, I hear this far more frequently than every other year and it's not nearly as dramatic, but I hear people say, Spencer, I, I'd love to get more involved in the church. Like I wanna start volunteering and start serving in, in, in a ministry. I wanna get in a small group or, or start going to worship more often. And I'm saying, yes, your life is gonna be so much better if you make the church your priority and start to make your relationships here and your friends here and your gifts and talents here. It's gonna be so much better for you. And then, and then I hear the follow to that and someone's like, well, but you know, our schedule's so busy and we've 
got baseball and soccer on the weekends and we travel a lot for that. And I just, yeah, I don't know how to have the time. Or, or here's another one I, I hear uh, pretty frequently. Someone will be like, Spencer, I feel like God wants us to start tithing. And I'm like, yes, your life is gonna be better in so many ways because you're gonna have the right priorities and, and it's what God wants for you. It's what the Bible teaches for you. It's an act of faith over fear. You totally should go for it. And then it's like, but you know, I'm trying to save for retirement or save for my kid's college or pay off debt or whatever it is. And, and, I, and I get it. There's all kinds of reasons that you and I say no to the things that God calls us to do. This is what we do. This is, this is what we do, which is why Abram is so incredibly inspiring because when God calls him, he doesn't flinch. He, he, he doesn't like list all the reasons he shouldn't go and, and he, just, he just does it. And this is like just an incredible model of faith, incredible model of faith. He teaches us that faith isn't just that we believe in God. Faith isn't just that we believe certain things about God. Faith is what I actually do because I believe in God. Faith is action-oriented. I want you to catch that. Biblical faith is action-oriented. It shows up in real decisions. Faith is when I actually do what God tells me to do. So hold on to this picture. It's an incredibly inspiring uh, picture of faith. And let's go back to Genesis 12. And I, I wanna read to you, just keep reading here. And I wanna show you what happens next. We're gonna skip just a couple verses, but it just wraps up the move that he makes. And I wanna read to you the very next story that happens in Genesis uh, chapter 12. This isn't three stories later. This is the next thing that happens in Abram's life. The very next thing. I just want to, it's the next thing. All right, chapter 12, verse 10. The very next story, here's how it goes. Now there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. Question, which land is this where there's a famine? Well, it's the land that Abram uprooted his entire life to move to. Um, it's the, the, the land that God had told him to go to. It's the land that God had given him. It's the land of promise that God had promised him. And so Abram, he had followed God with this inspiring faith. And now the circumstances of following God with this inspiring faith are getting harder. And so what does the hero of faith do? The, the one who doesn't flinch or ask questions, but just trusts in God. What does he do when the famine hits the land and following God becomes more difficult? What does he do? Here's what we read. There's a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. So this is a line that you might be tempted to read right past because the more interesting stuff is about to take place, but, but hold on to that for just a second because um, what we just read here. Um, is, is, it, is the beginning of, of this crushing disappointment where, where Abram is no longer living by faith, but he's beginning to live in a different kind of way. Because think about this, Abram is sent to the land so that everyone on earth is gonna be blessed through him. Incredible faith, and then comes this challenge. Things aren't gonna be as easy as it should be. There's a famine, there's setback, disappointment, struggle. And so what he does is, is he leaves. He leaves the land that God is calling him to be in. He leaves the land that God has um, promised to him. He doesn't. He stops trusting God and, he, and instead he takes things into his own hands. God doesn't tell him to go to Egypt. Abram decides to go to Egypt. God tells him to go to the land. Abram decides to leave the land. And, and you gotta start to wonder, like what is Abraham thinking at this point? Like what, what is his mindset that makes him think, you know, I should, I should, I should go to Egypt because there things are gonna be easier for me. What, what, what's his mindset? Is he, is he thinking like, well, like was God wrong to send me here? What, did, did God not know that this was gonna take place? Is God not able to stop this? I, I, I just wonder, like, like was, was God, was Abraham thinking that, like, is God, you know, 
surprised that there's this famine here and, and God should have waited to send me because after the famine, does God get surprised by the circumstances of our life when our life gets harder? Does God get surprised by the coronavirus? Have you ever thought about that? It's like, is God like, oh my gosh, I totally stopped watching China for a little while and I didn't know that this coronavirus was coming up and now all of a sudden it's everywhere. It's like, was God surprised by this coronavirus? Of course not. They're like, this isn't, this isn't it. God, God doesn't stop being sovereign when our circumstances become difficult. That's not, that's not how this works. It's not like God stops paying attention and stops um, working in our lives. And so Abram, though, has this setback and this, this struggle. It's, it's, it's harder for him now. And what he thinks is, I better go to Egypt. I better go to the place where it's safer, um, even though that's not where God has called me to be. And then it gets worse. Let's keep reading here. Verse 11. It says, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So, okay, decision one, Abram leaves the land. Decision two, he tells his wife, pretend we're not married. And then comes decision three, the worst of all. And it goes like this, verse 14. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. Catch that last line. She was taken into his palace. Now, what do I say about that? She was taken into his palace. Sometimes we say things in a polite way because there's something that's more impolite that's implied here. There's a bit of a, like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Sarai hasn't been taken into the palace. Uh, she's been taken into the harem of Pharaoh. Abram has given Pharaoh his wife, and this doesn't seem to be a problem for him. The next verse says this. Verse 16, he, that is Pharaoh, treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. So, so Abram gave Pharaoh his wife. And in turn, Abram got rich. Let's call this what this is. Because there's a word for this that if you're not already thinking it, I think it should just be said. Abram just pimped out his wife. That's what he does here. This is, this is the same Abram who's the hero of faith. The same Abram that will bless the entire world. The same Abram who hears God say, go, and without question, without hesitation, without flinching, he just goes. And then when things get hard, he takes matters into his own hands. And he makes these terrible decisions. And you got to wonder why does he do this? Why does he do this? Why? Well, because of fear. Fear. This is what fear does to us. Fear leads us away from the promise of God. Fear, it, it leads us towards selfishness. Fear, it, it leads us towards short-term decision-making. Fear never leads us to the place that we really want to go. It always leads us away from God's will. And now when the story keeps going, we're not going to finish reading it. But if you wanted to keep reading it, what you would find is that Pharaoh catches wind of what's going on. And, and as soon as he discovers the truth, Pharaoh makes it right. And he returns Sarai to, to Abram. And, and ironically, Pharaoh ends up being the morally upright person in the story. The very person that Abram was, was afraid of, which is another thing that fear does, is it vilifies people. Fear makes us think 
and assume the worst about people and, and not the best. This is what fear does. It distorts our thinking. And, and this is what happens when somebody becomes consumed by fear. And so this morning, I wanted you to see these two stories side by side. And, and actually, the, the Bible wants you to see these two stories side by side because this is actually how they're laid out, just side by side. Um, and I, I didn't do that. We just kept reading through this. And, but this pattern of, of Abram where you have this amazing faith and then you have this crushing fear um, is a pattern that we're going to see repeated in Abram's life over and over and over again until finally at the end there's victory and he lives by faith. There's just this continual struggle that we see in his life, this, this struggle between choosing faith or fear, faith and fear. And so sometimes you hear people talk about faith and people will say words like blind faith or unquestioning faith or, or maybe a, a leap of faith. And, and, and which is really what you saw Abram doing at the beginning when he leaves his home. And there's all the reasons he should have said no, but he doesn't. It's kind of that kind of blind faith, that kind of thing. But when you, when you hear people talk about, about faith in terms of blind faith or unquestioning faith, you, you're led to begin to think that maybe what faith is, is, is a certainty that has no doubts or questions. That faith is just this thing that you're just absolutely certain of, and that's the blind faith kind of idea. And, and certainly that's, that's the way some people talk when, you, when they start talking about faith. Faith is the absence of doubts or questions. And, and then when people who struggle with doubts and questions hear people talk about faith in terms of just absolute certainty, they're left wondering, well, does my doubts and questions mean that there's something missing within me? Um, maybe there's something lacking in my own faith. Because if I had faith, maybe I wouldn't have these doubts and questions. But what I've, what I've come to think and come to conclude is that really the absence of faith is not uh, doubts and questions. The, the opposite of faith is is fear. The opposite of faith is, is fear because fear and faith never work together. Um, I had a conversation with a friend not that long ago, and this is a friend who doesn't go to church. I don't think he would say he's a person of faith really at, at all, um, although he would say he wants to be. I've, I've met a lot of people who, who don't have faith, but they say they, they want to believe. They just don't know how to believe or they, they, don't, know, um, they don't know if they, if they can cross that line. I've, I've had those conversations a lot. And we were talking about what faith is, and, and my friend made this statement that I, I just found so interesting because he started talking about this article that he was reading in some, I don't know, some magazine somewhere. And, um, in, and it was an article about how scientists were trying to determine where love is at in the brain, like what portion or part of the brain creates um, love. And are certain people, the article was asking the question, are certain people more active in that part of the brain and therefore more likely to experience um, love, like people more hardwired for love? That was the, that was the question. And then my friend said, uh, he said, I, I wonder if that's how it is with faith, and that certain people are just more hardwired uh, to believe. And I found that so interesting, not the neuroscience part of it, although that, that's an interesting question as well, but this just idea that, that he made between um, this connection between faith and love, faith and love. Like he's asking the question, maybe faith and love are similar kinds of things. Um, because after all, what, what is love? Love is um, this intangible thing that happens to us um, you know, it's at least that's how it's portrayed in the culture. Uh, you watch TV, movies, listen to music. Love is this emotion. It's this feeling that you have towards another person. And it's usually as it's portrayed in our culture, it's out of your control. It's something that takes place to you, something that happens to you. I used to have a mentor who'd say that when people fall in love, their brains fall out because they no longer are making rational choices anymore. And so our culture, we think about love as this emotional thing. Um, but then I, I start to wonder, well, well, what if love isn't an emotional thing? Because 
Um, how does a marriage make it 30, 40, 50, 60 years if love is just an emotional thing? Obviously, it's more than just an emotional thing that we have, even though our culture thinks of it just like that. There has to be, has to be more than that because there are some days, if you're married, you know that there are some days you just don't feel love. And so I didn't make this connection. My, my friend who doesn't have faith, he made this connection between faith and love. And I had to conclude that, yes, I, th- I think faith and love are very, um, very similar but not the kind of love that our culture talks about, where you fall in love and your brains fall out, you fall in love and out of love, and you make decisions based on kind of the emotional state of where you're at. But faith is more like the kind of love that makes a marriage last for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Faith is like the kind of love that is deeper than an emotion. Faith is like the kind of love that that takes place and is true and happens no matter what you may be feeling at the time. Like that's the kind of biblical faith that we see, the kind of love that makes it even when you don't feel like it. Because there will be times where faith is easy. There there will be times where you're going to feel God emotionally. You're going to be on fire, on top of the mountain, whatever metaphor you want to use. There, There will be times where it is easy to trust God. You're inspired to trust God. You want to trust God. You want to do the things that God wants. But then there are going to be other times when the famine hits, And now it's a lot harder because you don't feel it anymore. It's not easy to trust God in those moments. So what do you do then? What do you do then? And so this this morning, I wanted to to lay out that there are going to be times um, where it is difficult to trust God and it becomes a choice that we begin to live into to have faith over fear. And if you're in a a moment like I'm in a moment right now with all of the things that are going on around us, this season that we're in, it is hard to trust God and have faith right now. It's so much easier to give in to fear and to let anxiety and questions rule our hearts. And so what I want to do this morning as we close is I want to offer you something really practical as as a way that you can choose faith in this very difficult time to choose faith. And, and really what I want to encourage you to do is just simply this. This is a, a really a biblical principle, but you need to be careful what you're filling your mind with right now. You need to be careful of what you're filling your heart with and your soul with. You need to be careful about what you're dwelling on because you're going to have the temptation to dwell in fear and all of the worst case scenarios. And, and that is not going to lead you towards God's promise or, or what God wants for you. Instead, you need to be filling your mind, your heart, um, your soul with scripture. This is the way that we combat this. And so did you know that the most often repeated command in the Bible is to not be afraid? Do not fear. We see it over and over and over in the scripture. And and as fear rises in your heart and mind, I want to encourage you to fill your mind with scripture. Scripture like this. This is Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. It says, so do not fear, for I am with you. You do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Genesis 26, 24 is another example. Do not be afraid for I am with you. These are verses you should memorize, write them down, return to them over and over again when you feel anxiety rising. Deuteronomy 31, verse six, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, because of the coronavirus. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. First Chronicles 22, verse 13, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. John 14, 27, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And I could keep going on and on and on with this. But friends, 
In these times of high fear, you need to make a choice to be a person of faith. Be careful what you're filling your mind with, your heart with, your soul with, because very quickly when the famine hits, there's going to be a temptation to leave behind what God wants for you and to live in a land of fear. Let's pray. And so God, today, I thank you that you do not give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and sound mind. That you want more for us to live in the land of Egypt, and land of fear. That you want more for us to live just by the reactions of what we're reading in the news, that you want us to have an assurance that you are with us. May we be the kinds of people that in the midst of this high anxiety, that we are those who still trust you. Let us be people who choose the difficult task of choosing to trust you, even when the circumstances around us may be terrifying and may be driving us towards higher and higher levels of anxiety. Draw us to the scripture, draw us to you, draw us to the one who is sure and trustworthy that because we know that you love us, that you are with us, that you are not surprised by the coronavirus, that this doesn't come as a surprise to you, that you are still sovereign and so you are still the king, you are still the one of the empty grave. And so we can trust you. Lord, would you fill our hearts, our minds, our souls, our families, our relationships with confidence as we put our faith in you. In the name of Jesus, our sure Savior, we pray. Amen. So
Hey friends, it's been so good to join with you this morning in worship. I encourage you to share this with your friends, uh, share this on social media. People need to hear a good word and be participating in church right now. I can't wait to spend this time with you again next Sunday at 9.02 a.m. God bless you, have a great week.